0: One of the first cartoons that I remember very vividly was a family circus. And the mom and dad come in, and something's broken in the living room. This was the picture in the cartoon. The oldest kid's here. The next kid's here. The next kid's here. And then this little one's pointing at the cat. And the cat's pointing at this earthworm that's crawling across the floor who can't point at anybody because he has no arms. Is it your fault? When it is your fault, are you willing to admit it? That's a hard thing to do. But in the psalm that we're going to look at tonight, David recognizes, I've sinned, it was my fault, and he asks God to forgive him even so. To look together, Psalm 38. If you're not there yet, I'll be there in a second. It would help if I'd move my marker from Acts. All right. He says, "O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath, chasten me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep into me, and your hand has pressed down on me. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There is no health in my bones because of my sin." for my iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden they weigh too much for me my wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly i am bent over and greatly bowed down i go mourning all day long my loins are filled with burning there is no soundness in my flesh i am benumbed and badly crushed i groan because of the agitation of my heart so this starts out with a prayer an appeal to god uh actually um James Montgomery Boyce wrote a commentary on Psalms, and he alluded to something that Spurgeon said actually sees four separate prayers in this psalm. Verse 1, verse 9, verse 16, and then at the end, verses 21 and 22. And uh, in between those, he describes uh, various aspects of a lament of uh, his own experience. In terms of physical suffering, in terms of aloneness, in terms of um, just not really knowing what to say, in terms of the opposition of enemies surrounding him. So let's start with that first section in verses 2 through 8. Your arrows have sunk deep into me, your hand is pressed down on me. Obviously, he's not talking about literal arrows, but he is, I think, speaking of arrows in terms of God's judgment. Uh, And then the second part, your hand has pressed down on me. Uh, I mean, the image that comes to mind is if a kid is misbehaving in church and their parent's hand is on their shoulder, they feel the weight of it. They know that they haven't done what's right. They know that there's going to be consequences later. That's, I think, the sort of picture that we have here of David. God's displeasure is weighing heavily on him. But it doesn't just Uh, It's not just an abstract kind of thing. Verse 3, it leads to physical difficulty. No soundness in my flesh, no health in my bones. He says specifically, because of your indignation, your wrath, because of my sin. So those two ideas are parallel but not identical. The reason that he is suffering in this specific moment is because of his sin, which necessarily leads to God's judgment. Now, obviously, there are many cases in which someone is not sinning and they still get sick um, because of we live in a sinful world and our bodies are affected by it and all of those sorts of things. But there are also specific instances in which we sin and God chooses to cause us to be sick because of that sin. I think the context of James 5 probably speaks to some of that, the the confess your sins to one another so you can be healed and the elders coming and, and, and meeting with the person that I think that context would indicate a kind of sin that led to sickness on the part of that person uh, also we see in first corinthians 11 the example of the lord's supper there are those who are sick among you there are those who sleep who have died because they didn't honor god in the way that they remembered christ in connection with the lord's table So, there are very clear instances, or, I mean, examples in the Old Testament. Um, Someone doubts God's word. Miriam gets struck with leprosy. You know, all these sorts of examples. There's clear connections between our choices and sin. So, when we are sick, when we are experiencing trouble, we should not automatically exclude the possibility of, I am going through this trouble because I have sinned and God wants me to stop sinning. That's certainly not the only possibility, but it is something that we should consider. He describes his sin further. My iniquities are gone over my head as a heavy burden they weigh too much for me. And the the first picture is that of drowning. You're in a lake, the water's closing over your head. You're sinking. And... As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. And that's the irony of sin, isn't it? It promises freedom and brings slavery. It promises pleasure and brings torment. Ultimately, and sometimes immediately. And David was experiencing this in connection of this specific situation. Now, some people say, well, David didn't write this psalm because the Bible didn't write down ever that he was really, really, really sick and it was because of his sin and he had to ask God's forgiveness. The clear response to that is simply to say the Bible doesn't record everything about every person, everything that ever happened in their lives. Nor should it. I mean, there wouldn't be room and that's not the main point. So that's a little bit of a silly argument to say David didn't write it because we don't have the specific account somewhere else in Scripture. Um, And ultimately, it doesn't matter if David wrote it or not. It perhaps informs our understanding a little bit of the situation if we know that David writes it. But ultimately, if this is God's Word and it's inspired and it has application to our lives, it could be David or it could be someone else. Now, if it came out and said it was David, then um, we we do have the inscription at the top that's uh, fairly reliable to consider. Verse 5. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. Not sure if the um, alliteration was intentional by the translators, but it does clearly show the connection between his sin and the, the consequences, the results of his sin. Um, hopefully none of you have ever experienced something like gangrene, but we've probably all had a spot at our hand that instead of letting it heal, you pick at the scab and it gets worse and then sometimes you have to go to the doctor and get it taken care of. Picture Job. Entire body covered in sores. That is not a healthy state of life. That's what David is experiencing, either literally or figuratively, and the immediate reason for it is his sin. And then he goes back to this idea in verse 4, the second half, when he comes to verse 6, I am bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long. When you are sinning and experiencing the consequences of that sin, it weighs heavily on you if you have any kind of a relationship with God. You don't want to look people in the eye, you don't want to pray, you don't feel a whole lot of joy. That's what David's describing. The mourning can sometimes be feeling sorry for yourself. Sometimes when we sin, we don't really feel badly that we've sinned. We feel badly that it's made life difficult for us. And so perhaps there was some of that that David was experiencing at first. But we do see genuine repentance as the psalm continues. Verse 7, my loins are filled with burning. There is no soundness in my flesh. Again, think to a time when you've had the flu. You just feel wretched and your insides are churning, and you feel horrible, that is how David is describing his state of being in connection with his sin, knowing God's wrath is resting heavy on him. And so I think that that's something for us to consider, because I don't think we always feel that way when we sin. Sometimes we sin, and we think, you know what? That was you know, kind of a misstep, kind of a bad thing, kind of something I probably shouldn't have done. You don't feel wretched. You don't feel like you're throwing up, like you're covered with chicken pox, like you have the flu, like you can't breathe. Sometimes that's because we don't see the seriousness of sin and we don't consider our connection with God. Um, If we love God, And we know that sin displeases Him. I think it bothers us more like it ought to bother us than if we don't make that connection that my action offends, affects, damages my relationship with a person. He says, verse 8, I've been benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. And then he turns again to God. Verse 9, Lord, all my desire is before you and my sign is not hidden from you. He starts out in verse 1, God spare me, and he comes to verse 9, you know what's going on within me. What's going on? My heart throbs, my strength fails me, the light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, my kinsmen stand afar off, Those who seek my life lay snares for me and those who seek to injure me have threatened destruction and they devise treachery all day long. He's pained in his heart. He's at the end of his ability. The joy of life seems to have gone away from him and he is alone. And not only is he alone in terms of anyone who could or would help him, He is not alone in terms of those who wish to do him harm. One of the commentaries I was looking at said that there's this irony that sometimes we respond most cruelly to the things that we fear. So we see someone who can't walk and we make fun of them because we're just glad it's not us and we hope it never is us. You know, that kind of thing. Um, And David's enemies see in his... Um, time of weakness, an opportunity to take advantage of him. And he is alone. Don't assume either because of sin or just general suffering because of the world that we live in that someone else is coming alongside a fellow believer to encourage them. it's easy for us to assume that you well know, so and so is going through a difficult time. I don't want to um, I don't want to overwhelm them, but sometimes that then leads to no one goes and um, encourages someone in need. And just so you know, I'm not talking about the things that we're going through. You all have been a great encouragement to us. I'm talking about, I would go and visit people who are shut-ins, and people at church would mean well, but I think sometimes we're the only people that ever went and saw them. They were alone. And that was mostly due to old age and loss of connections and all their friends had died and all those sorts of things. But it can happen no matter how old you are and regardless of the exact circumstance if (laughs) when we sin we push people away and we need those people need to push back when we are suffering sometimes we want to sit there by ourselves and sometimes what we actually need most is for someone to come alongside and say no you can't sit by yourself let's Let me sit with you. Let's talk. Let me encourage you. And at the time, the person that's going through that difficulty may not think that they want that, but it's actually what they need. So don't be like the people in verse 11. And certainly don't be like the people in verse 12, who are mocking and seeing in someone else's weakness an opportunity for their own advancement. And this is going to come up again at the end of the psalm. They seek to injure me of threatened destruction. They devise treachery all day long. But Here's the interesting thing. Verse 13, I, like a deaf man, do not hear. I am like a mute man who does not open his mouth. I am like a man who does not hear and in whose mouth are no arguments. For I hope in you, O Lord, you will answer, O Lord my God. There's two possible ways of looking at this and, and maybe a blend between the two. One is that he's so... Kind of in shock with everything that's going on. He doesn't even notice all the things that are going on around him. And the second and perhaps better way to think about it is that ultimately he is not most concerned with those who are around him, either those who love him who have abandoned him or those who hate him who are actively trying to harm him because he recognizes that God is the one that he really needs to deal with in this circumstance his hope and his confidence is in God and he believes that he will answer and he cries out to God verse 16 for I said may they not rejoice over me when my foot slips they would magnify against me then he gives some reasons I am ready to fall my sorrow is continually before me I confess my iniquity I'm full of anxiety because of my sin my enemies are vigorous and strong and many are those who hate me wrongfully and those who repay evil for good They oppose me because I follow what is good. So he gives these reasons, and some of them seem surprising. His first reason, God, rescue me because I'm ready to fall and my sorrow is continually before me. It's um, Sometimes you come to that point in a story, and you're like, somebody has to do something, or the story's about to be over very quickly that's the moment that David is at. If I'm about to fall, and the way that that's often used in Psalms is, I'm about to die. So I'm sick, I'm overwhelmed, I'm struggling. God, if you don't intervene, this is likely to be it. So that's the first reason he gives for God intervening and helping. The second reason is, I confess my iniquity, I am full of anxiety because of my sin. And that might surprise us because if you are acknowledging that you've done wrong, why should someone help you? And humanly speaking, we don't necessarily respond positively to someone saying, I did wrong, and then we say, oh yeah, well let me, let me do this good thing for you. But the way that God responds to his people is that he wants them to confess their sin, to turn away from their sin, and then he, he forgives them. He hears them, and so David is appealing along those lines. And then he says in verse 19, My enemies are vigorous and strong, and many are those who hate me wrongfully. Again, I'm one, there are many. God, there's no way this is going to turn out well if you don't intervene. And then verse 20, And this is perhaps the most surprising of all, Those who repay evil for good, they oppose me, because I follow what is good. David, you just said you sin. Why are you telling God other people are sinning? That's sort of like the guy who gets pulled over and is like, I was only doing 65, and those guys were going 80, so why do not you go pull them over too? That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I know I sinned, and I'm turning from it, but they don't even acknowledge that they've sinned. They love their sin. They're, They're living in their sin. They're your enemies. So perhaps implied in this is somewhat, if you let your people fall... It's your name, ultimately, that's reflected badly on. But even aside from that, it's just simply the fact he's saying, I sin. I'm not denying it. I'm confessing it. Don't let them prevail. Do we pray this way? Do we admit that we cannot help ourselves? There's a lot of times when we're not ready to say what verse 17 says, I am ready to fall. We're like, yeah, things are tough, but I can do it. But do we admit, like David sometimes, that earthly strength has failed us and we need God? Verse 18, do we confess our iniquity? Are we full of anxiety because of our sin? Anxiety in and of itself can be a sin, But I think this is just a recognition that his awareness of his sin is just eating at him inside. And he's talking to God about it, and he's saying, I've sinned, I know I've done wrong. Sometimes, verse 18, we don't call sin, sin. We make excuses for it. Like the kids in the family circus cartoon. It's that person's fault. People around us make it easier or harder for us to obey God, but they are not ultimately the ones who make the choice to sin or to obey. Our circumstances of life make it easier or harder for us to obey God, but we still ultimately are responsible for what we do. So admit when you have sinned. It should bother you. Do we acknowledge that There are those who are opposed to God, who will gain, who will have an opportunity to boast if God does not help us. Do we recognize and admit to God, I've sinned, I don't deserve your mercy. But unlike the people over here who are still living in their sin and loving their sin and saturated by their sin, I'm one of your people. Hear my prayer, God. And then he closes in verses 21 and 22. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, do not be far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. So he starts out and he prays Don't destroy me. You know my heart. Don't let my enemies prevail. And then he closes with, You're my God. Help me. Don't leave me. Come quickly. You're my salvation. So how do we pray in a right way when it is our fault? Talk to God about what's going on. Admit when we've done wrong. Talk to him about the fact that we may be alone because of our sin or because of a variety of other things and we need his help. Talk to him about the fact that we are turning away from our sin and genuinely repent and cry out to God. And we can have a confident expectation that although God is in some sense not obligated to keep taking us back when we keep doing things that he hates. He has also promised that He will not forsake His people. But that raises the question, are we His people? So what characterizes God's people? Not that they are perfect, but that they admit their sin, that they ask God to forgive, and they cry out for His help. And so may God help us to do that.